Hi, I'm Pete Price. I have a podcast that should be listened to. Stephen Robinson is a highly successful tech entrepreneur, father of two. He lost his brother and his brother-in-law to suicide in the space of just 18 months. He needed and wanted to help other people. He will tell you all about the help that's out there, especially from what he has set up. Have a listen now to my podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to speak now to a gentleman by the name of Stephen Robinson. Now, this gentleman is highly successful. Very, very... He's an entrepreneur in the tech industry. He's a father of two. But he had a tragedy. It was a horrendous tragedy. Losing his brother and brother-in-law to suicide in the space of just 18 months. And he now wants to help other people. We've got Stephen on the phone. We're going to talk to him. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Pete. You okay? I am indeed. Stephen, I know it's painful to talk about, but uh, tell us your story, please, and take as long as you want. Yeah, well, I mean, it just happened, obviously, um, in 2016. It was just come of all of the shot, really, to the family. Um, when the brother-in-law committed suicide, that's how it started. He was life and soul of the party. Um, and he just... One of them things where he put himself in front of a train, which was just devastation. He just left obviously devastation behind him. And we as a family had to pick ourselves up from that. And it's the, just a sudden shock of once they're there and they're not there. And how you put coping mechanisms in place for that. Um, so, yeah, that was a quite um, a mind-blowing part of his life, really, because it's somebody that you've grown up with and look up to in a lot of ways because of the strong personality. Um, and now, you know, we do not talk about things. And that for me was the biggest surprise. We didn't see any signs. Does that make sense? Mm. And um, it was just, it was just so stunning really for us all to, we're just all shell, shell shocked, should I say. Um, and then, you know, we just got over that. Um, my brother, was struggling, um, and Michael, um, for many a year, um, with alcohol abuse, living in denial, really, that he was an alcoholic. Um, and we were trying to support him as a family, getting him treatment. But, um, as some people will know, you know, some people have to be, um, wanting to, to be helped. And he didn't. Um, and time went on. And we we just found like different barriers and frustrations along the way with the system as well. Um, getting him into different groups where he didn't feel comfortable um, talking about it and being open. And like he said, he's not an addict, but deep down, he really was. Um, not probably obviously drugs, but definitely obviously as of the booze, definitely. Um, and just coping with that over a period of time, out of Texas strain on the family of and frustrations of working your go next, working with tech in um, days out and things like that, and then you think he's all right, and then you find out that he's he's at the bottle of, uh, again. And um, you know that was um, just one day we got a phone call, and obviously he had um, com committed suicide on twenty seventh of April two thousand eighteen. 
Um, so someone that, again, was a personality that was very outgoing um, and, um, you know, life and soul of the party again. So it was like, you know, to me, and it's not for everybody, but, you know, these people, like you always think of people being depressed or anxious, not being to be able to cope in social environments. Well, with these two people, that wasn't the case. So, um, you know, obviously <laughs> these these two people for us, it was just, again, we had to, as a family, cope with that. And, um, you know, I've got other siblings. Um, we all dealt with it in different ways. Um, I bottled a lot of it at that time and was going for investments within a business that I, that I had in cybersecurity at the time and um, just found it just chucking yourself into work really but towards back end of 18 you know it all came back at me um, where I just suffered a breakdown and burnouts were you know the smallest jobs for me or tasks that I used to do on an everyday basis just became a massive thing to try and get over or get completed and I, I just couldn't see the wood for the trees so I went for counselling myself for every week for about five months. Um, I still go now. Um, and I never went on medication, but the counselling was fantastic. You know, it was brilliant. It has its place. It opened me up. But what I felt is once I started talking about this and talking about the past, which was felt a weight off my shoulders, it, it, I felt vulnerable at that time as well. And I think once you start talking about it, you want to keep talking about it and telling everybody um, about the subject, obviously. Um, and I think towards the end of after five months, I just thought, well, I need something. I felt after I stopped the counselling, I just fell into this void. And I could see other people that I've been talking to um, it was going through similar things, felt, well, you know, I don't have, I can't come off medication because I don't want to feel like I used to. Um, I don't um, want to feel like that, so I might have to go back to counselling. And life's always going to chuck adversity at us in some kind of way. Life's hard. So it's, I would prefer ourselves for that. And I think what I found is people were just relapsing in a vicious circle where there was, you know, having the counselling, being on medication, something might happen, either financial pressures, a relationship, a job redundancy, and a bereavement, health, all these things are going to come at us, especially later in life. And it's how we prepare ourselves for that. And people just going back to the start, where they might go to the GP again, get the medication reviewed, or they go on counselling, being on a waiting list, or they go private, um, and what we found is talking to more and more people, they weren't utilising the healthcare provision as much in the workplace because obviously the pressures and risk of that affecting their career. So they were prepared to wait for counselling or they went private, but private's expensive, so they can only do it for so long. So what we found is people were coming to these barriers where they just didn't get any ongoing support after the six or eight weeks of counselling, and I was lucky because I was in a fortunate position, I could pay for private counselling. Most people can't. 
So after six or eight weeks of counselling, that's, that's your lot. You're out on your own. And I just thought that nobody's got the tools here, giving them the tools or they're just left to their own devices in a lot of ways. And uh, I thought there's something we need to do about this. And, and that's where I, I, I thought about it long and hard and, and launched its mental. Stephen, let me um, stop you there before you tell us what you've done. Uh, you just told an amazing story and told us all about you. All uh, of your brother and your brother-in-law's friends also must have absolutely struggled because suicide is such a, a scary time because people are angry, uh, people question all the time, and some people say it was brave that they did it, some people say it was cruel that they did it. In general, and you in particular, were you angry or what? I think I think obviously you go through every kind of emotion. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. You definitely go through every kind of emotion. Mostly frustration. I felt always frustrated, more for my sister really, um, and my brother-in-law, and obviously um, my brother's wife at the time, because obviously they're the closest ones to them. They live every day, see the daily routines, and they probably see the patterns of them declining or something they change. But my sister didn't, and I think that was really frustrated because you want answers. Um, and there is, you know, no notes, there is nothing said, um, there is nothing different. And I think that is, without them questions being answered, um, for her mainly, and then obviously secondly, us as a family, um, it's hard to get over that. And it probably still comes back to us on a, on a day, I'm, you know, we'd be probably together as a, a family and, and then questions still run through your mind of, of, of why, yeah. why, why, you know, um, it happened. So what have you decided to do? Because you want to help others, don't you? Yeah, I just, I just, I mean, the main thing about it is people, what I thought is if we can engage with people earlier on um, in some kind of way, there's obviously a lot of charities coming out there now in uh, mental health um, and a lot of community projects now for which are engaging with people. And I think that's the key is to get people talking and engaging with family, friends and the people and starting to open up a bit more and engage with services, um, you know, social prescribing to different services. Is that much out there? That is the key to me. Um, and that's what we strive for and what we do. Um, is trying to engage with people. And that's where online, we thought online could be an easy step for people to start engaging with something, maybe in text, maybe via email, rather than a big phone call to the Samaritans or walking into A&E or the big conversation with your GP. But some people, then steps are too big, so they bottle it. So what have you done? So what we decided to do um, was to create an online platform and create a self-care platform. So we engage with all different experts. We have 24 panel experts, all from psychologists to psychotherapists, mainly coaching, mainly all specialists of different coaching. And what we wanted to do is what I thought was I had a coaching business, I had a mentoring business, and it helps you tremendously to, for accountability and discipline. And, you know, sport does. 
all different kinds of sport and business mm. people that are successful have teams around them. And those human beings struggle with accountability and discipline every day. And I thought if their minds are obviously struggling anyway and they're having a lot of negative thoughts, they need to be led by the hand and coached. So we built the coaching aspect and built it on an online platform so people could access this for free and then engage with people um, or coaches or specialists further down the line um, through either group coaching courses or programs or one-to-one coaching. Um, but there's a lot of things that they can get involved in without having them serious conversations or engagement that they can do themselves. The ultimate being that they start to self-manage yeah. their mental well-being themselves. That is the ultimate. So our mission is to teach one million people how to self-manage their mental well-being. Wow. Wow. Stephen, was it hard to set up? Um, well, yes. I mean, it took a, a long time to to develop um, the platform. I have a lot of experience in cybersecurity on learning what we call LMS systems, which are learning management systems, which is online learning. So um, I have a good background with Lancaster University on actionable learning. So all these things, processes of learning are fed into the system to make people learn in bite-sized chunks because as you can see, somebody going onto the system, it has to be very simple and obviously short exercises that they can do, not just an hour-long um, session or anything like that, just to get them to progress and move forward. That's the end. Is it costly for the people to join? No, it's majority we have a free subscription, um, which we give for charities and individuals, but there is a, a premium subscription that enters into other things and gives them discounts into like family active days and things like that, what we call wellbeing rewards. Um, the main way we commercialize the, the, this operation and keep it sustainable is through workplace wellbeing where companies pay us for their employees to have it free. Oh, that that's good. Sense. I like that. Yeah, so that's how we, we want to keep it free for the individuals as much as we possibly can. Um, but obviously, now post-COVID, a lot of companies are looking for strategies to implement to you know align their core values, mission statements, vision statements with the culture of that organisation. And that's a challenge in itself. So we do a lot of work around that area. Um, but we're a totally independent service. So, you know, anything, everybody that's on the platform that comes in from a, a, a company um, is totally anomalized. So we don't feed any information back on yeah. what they're looking at, what journey they're going on, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So really, you're aiming this towards companies uh, to help them through some terrible crisis that has been caused by the pandemic and because people are living in a very stressful world these days, it would be good for companies and if they're listening uh, as well as individuals to find out more about this because it, it, it sounds like a really, really clever idea and it sounds as if you thought about it and really put an awful lot into it to make it work. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of the stats that are coming out for 
the workplace um, is we've always had problems coping with or one of the KPIs in HR was absenteeism. But what it is now post-COVID is presenteeism. So you've got people that are making it to work, they're functional to get to work because they need to get paid, but they can't perform, they can't do the tasks that they used to do. And that's where we step in. Most companies will have a selection of people that are struggling and they will not know what to do with them. They've already been on healthcare provision through the company or they're already on medication or they're already having counselling or had it four or five times. But these people, they're just wondering what they can do with them and that's where we step in. We put them on courses and coach them to start implementing things on a daily basis, daily routine, increase change habits um, and getting them moving forward before it's too late till they may lose the job. Does that make sense? And that's the worst case scenario. It does indeed. You sound like a lifesaver. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that at all, but it's nice to say, but, you know, we do want to save lives. That's the whole point of what we're doing. Um, It's a purpose. It's not about the money. It's all about, you know, if we can just lift one head up to to the future and, and the greater good, um, and the possibilities in the future, what we can achieve, then we've done our job. Stephen, I'm speaking to Stephen Robinson. How can people find out about it? Yeah, well, they can go on our website, um, the web application, which is www.itsmental.co.uk. Um, they can join straight from there, and they can get that through the mobile phone as well. Um, and they can just join free, and they can receive daily videos from us, just two-minute videos a day, which just helps them change mood, etc., and change habits. And that's the yeah. early engagement stage, what we try and promote. So, yeah, that's what that's the starting point for everybody. Stephen, can we have that again slowly, please? So the, the website address is www.itsmental.co.uk. Yeah. And... Um, people can find us on there and join for free um, and then they can start receiving straight away two-minute two videos every day from us um, regarding to changing mood, yeah. um, raising mood, elevating mood or de-stressing people or even videos on helping them with changing negative habit, habits into positive habits. Stephen Robinson, you're a fascinating man. I'm sorry about your loss. I'm sorry about your pain, but thank you for helping others. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed that and uh, want to hear more, we have lots of podcasts. All you have to do is subscribe and they'll be sent to you. Liverpool Live.